Welcome to the Attack Action Podcast, where we talk about friendship, fun times, and most importantly, flesh and blood. Here are your hosts, Taylor and Isaac. Hello, Attactioneers, and my best friend, Isaac. What's going on, dude? Oh, just being a nice, uh, calm ripple off the mind of James White in this uh, this game called Flesh and Blood. If you don't know what I'm talking about, stay tuned for our interview coming up with uh, our longtime supporter and friend, Onyx. Heck yeah. Yeah, it was a great interview. He's just a great dude, and it's a great story, and I'm just really happy to uh you know finally get him on the pod with his first ever exclusive interview so take that internet (laughs) we're winning internet we're winning been winning oh oh yeah totally been winning uh how how are you doing i have not seen you actually outside of uh the virtual space and business uh our media empire uh <laughs> in quite some some weeks here so i know everybody probably thinks like we're just drinking beers on the deck playing flesh and blood every day but that's yeah. not true all day every day yeah now we're I men in wish. our 30s with our own lives okay <laughs> 10 years really, ago uh... we we would have podcasting every single day yeah right not anymore yeah i wish we were doing this in our early 20s but no, I'm doing well. I've been doing rewarding and fun things. Just, you know, you and I have each had our own separate schedules and have not uh, gotten together to sit down and play some flesh and blood, you know, very much lately, but that's all good. You, you know, you went to a wedding last weekend, adult, adulting things, and those are important too, you know? Totally. I feel actually really refreshed. I was telling uh, my wife that about how we, it was only a, like a one night situation, but the whole time because of it's like, you know, it wasn't like five days or something like that. It was just the perfect amount to like go see everybody, be social, have a few drinks, get a little dancing in, you know, it was like the perfect vacation amount. And I came back this morning, I mean, woke up this morning and was like, I'm so revitalized, like. What a great life we have, you know. I think I just feel that way too because I love weddings and it's great to see people like profess their love in their own unique way in front of their friends and family, you know. And I got all real lovey eyes with my wife and stuff, you know, as I as I do as a romantic person. So it was great. Nice. Loving it. That sounds like a wonderful weekend. I was doing uh I guess more type two fun things, but <laughs> good for you. <laughs> like clipping your toenails or something like that. No, it was just like in class and stuff like that. But oh, um, nice! What class are you taking? We did. Um, I'm doing a, a fire certification class, but it's on the weekend. Um, Is that in preparation series. for for the new draconic talent? <laughs> Totally. As Colin said, I'm just really deep in Kano mode right now. (laughs) Anything fire is just bleeding over into my real life. (laughs) So wait, what is the fire certification for? So you can like help with prescribed burns in your community or something? Um, It's training to be a firefighter, but you don't have to 
be in that academy to do it and yeah it's so um i can be you know a more educated person like part of the prescribed burn association running my own burns being more like self-sufficient or self like capable on my own you know all of those things um you also have to be a volunteer firefighter to be part of search and rescue which is something i've um, considered being a part of but uh you know you get caught up with like you have to like work and then i was like building my house and have a homestead and then you have to like work some more to pay for those things you know and then life just goes by but uh sometimes you squeeze in these like pursuits that you just kind of want to do so that's what i'm doing at the moment sweet that's some real country ass (laughs) shit i love it I mean, as I fully know, I was like talking with my wife yesterday when we got home, like, all right, these are the like landscape yard stuff we got to do over here and we're going to build a fence and stuff, you know? So even though my address is like a city address, I also live in the country. I just like to, you're much more country than me for sure. You, you definitely live, uh, live rurally as well though i kind of forget because on this podcast right we were like playing a card game and i'm like you know like i'm a shy like maybe sensitive guy and like a nerd and stuff (laughs) so i forget that people don't have the whole picture of my like i also like to be outside and i like um you know play sports you know i don't know there's just like a lot to my life and my personality uh outside of this yeah you know I'm not just this yeah. one one book cover, guys. Come on. <laughs> I contain multitudes, as they say. Yeah, an I onion. was thinking. Ac- <laughs> yeah, I- I'm a cake. You're an onion. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking because a uh, other podcast I listened to, shout out to the Judge John Hodgman show. <clears throat> um, he does a once a year or twice a year podcast with another friend of his. They only put out two episodes at most a year. And it's <laughs> and they just awesome. talk about stuff that's like not related to the other podcasts they do. Uh I think it's called Shooting the Breeze. And I think they kind of just talk about cheese, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but like, you know, when you have friends and you're a real person and stuff, you do have interests outside of what your main way of connecting with your fan base is, you know? So sometimes it's good to be able to share those things. So that's kind of why I just wanted to talk to you about your personal life and get to catch up. Thanks. That is a good point. Um, We maybe in a lull in fab, we should do like a offbeat episode where we just chat about our lives and hobbies and things we'd like to recommend and experiences and all that kind of thing. I don't know. Let us know if you don't want to fucking hear about that and just get back to cards, please. Yeah. Damn it. Stay in your lane. Tweet at us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I would be Um, into that. As you know, like I have, you know, ideas. (laughs) No, but I do like to get into the nitty gritty of stuff, you know, and like, well, the philosophical musings about life and that sort of stuff just people don't hear you know when we're like playing cards at your table then we get up and like the dogs are running around your green backyard with a flock of hummingbirds under the you know redwood Mm -hmm. meadow setting you know 
People just don't know about that, that side of things. It's also good. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we will. Let us know. Tweet at us. Um, all right. Let's move into our podcast stuff. How's that sound? Yeah, well, it, it's definitely not going to be long enough, so I'm glad we <laughs> filled some more time. <laughs> Uh, okay, so first off, now that you've made it through uh, just kind of our our, our banter, um, <clears throat> we really appreciate all of you. And uh, if our podcast has provided any sort of uh, value to you, we would really love it if you would consider supporting us in these three different ways. One, join our Patreon, $4 a month, no big deal. Uh, you get access to the Discord, and it's just a thriving, wonderful community of folks. Um, and it's a great way to get to interact with us. Because as I know like from listening to a lot of podcasts, if you listen to a ton, um, you feel like you really get to know the people that you're listening to and that they're maybe in a weird way your friends. But we can keep developing our true friendship online. <laughs> <laughs> through the discord so so if you support us on patreon that's one way another way is to just uh subscribe rate and review on all the platforms just make sure you're you're subscribed on all of those and if there's a way to give any sort of rating or review uh that you do so um you know thumbs upping youtube videos you can rate stuff on spotify now you give us five stars there um all of those things are, are super, super useful and are really easy to do. And the third way is to tell a friend, you know, if you're at your local armory, uh, whooping people with our new play mat, <laughs> uh, then, uh, you know, let them know that we make a great podcast and that you enjoy it. And maybe they should listen also. And plus you'll have more to talk about with your buddies at armory uh, when you see them talk about the latest episodes that we have been producing. So thank you. Yep. Uh, a number of our patrons won their armories with our play mats. It's just like kept discord kept chirping. Yep. I also won my armory with the new play mat. So great job, everyone that can be you as well. Also. Yeah. So yeah we were, we were talking about how, um, you know, when we make a, a new episode that is maybe more generally appealing or, you know, like we just made the tempo episode, we've made deck building episodes, you know, we're just kind of, uh, you know, uh, only advertising to our current listeners or just kind of preaching to the choir here. So if you, if there is something you, uh, do really enjoy, um, you know, sharing it with your, uh, your fellow, fellow players, um, you know, that helps us out. It might not be uh, intuitive, but, um, for you to just do organically, but you know, that's how, uh, that's how you spread the good word, <laughs> the gospel as it were. Um, yeah. And we, we just have a Midas touch, you know, like <laughs> the people who are surround we the people we surround ourselves with wind up winning more often than we wind up winning. Yeah. You know? You're welcome. Hayden Dale. Oh yeah. Hayden Dale. <laughs> Yuki taught her everything she knows. Zane <laughs> trained him up. I mean, very early on, Colin won a skirmish. You know, it goes, it runs totally. deep. You know? Yeah, these people couldn't read or do basic arithmetic, then they met us. 
<laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, honestly, think how bad Brendan Patrick would be if he hadn't been on our podcast. <laughs> you know, he's luck. You know, zero wins. We're talking, we're talking zero wins. Uh, okay, shout outs for this this episode. I want to give a big shout out. I couldn't handle that joke. <laughs> big shout out to my my boy Levi, aka iPad Baby. Uh, he just won our local armory with our sick new playmat, and uh, did it with uh, Katsu. We got a chance to draft some Welcome to Wraith the last two weeks in armory, and I won last week with Katsu, and then Levi did also this week with Katsu. Probably because I wasn't there, um, but you know he still did it. Was out there <laughs> slicing and dicing, so. Great job, Levi. Fun story about Levi, too. His older brother and me are the same age, and I really love his older brother, too. David, shout out to David. Uh, We go back, way back in high school, actually junior high. So I remember playing him in junior high basketball, and he was like the only good player on his basketball team and was really mad that we were beating him by like 30 points. And he was just really like eighth grade boy yelling at his teammates about how much they suck. So uh, not that <laughs> we condone that, guy, that behavior, <laughs> but, but he, he turned out to be just like the sweetest uh, guy and was like a really great friend from another uh, school and is great dude. Great family. So shout out to Levi. Great job, dude. Thanks. Coming for you next time, though. Um, really quick, I'm going to just shout out Fab Foundry's YouTube channel because we our interview this episode is um, with on it, but I don't know if we ever shouted out specifically his channel in addition to having a single store in a brick and mortar um, LGS. He also has a, you know, uh, flourishing YouTube channel with uh, box openings and deck techs and all kinds of stuff like that. So gameplay too, multifaceted. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hell yeah. So go check that out as Um, well. Okay. So we have two huge pieces of news, which I'm sure you're all aware of. Um, Spoiler season has begun and there are a number of lore articles out and coming out that we are going to deep dive into um, on our upcoming reaction step that we're uh, also recording very soon here. So look for that. If you're interested in our, our, takes along with Colin's take on um, that piece of news. But the other big bombshell is the uh, surprise early banned and restricted announcement um, as a result of the recent battle hardens and calling Taiwan wrapping up. Um, You know, LSS now had a clear idea of who hit LL and all that. So release the ban announcement a bit early. You want to take us into that, Taylor? Uh, yeah, totally. So um, the big stuff is, I mean, so Blitz has, there's a ton of changes, but uh, we'll briefly touch on those. Uh, but we're more of a classic constructed focused duo. So the following changes are effective on May 2nd. So a week from today when we're recording this. Awakening is banned. Boom. Autumn's touch. Bloodsheath Skeleta are both um, suspended. 
So now Bravo star of the show cannot just run nine of autumn's touch and the Sonata OTK blood sheath uh, combo is no longer viable for viscerai. And uh, side note, Seeds of Agony has moved from banned to suspended until Chain reaches Living Legend. So um, there is some uh, in the article. I would definitely go read this uh, fabtcg.com articles. Uh, there is some reasoning behind uh, the changes they made um, and what they kind of potentially expect to happen. Like Prism didn't get any touches and they expect that deck to get maybe a little bit better and they talk about you know the the understanding that old him and briar are uh what's the word uh small casualties along with the autumn's touch ban um but everybody will make uh adjustments accordingly so uh we have not had a ton of time to digest and think through all the lines of logic, but so this is very much our kind of first take on this scenario. So Isaac, what are you, what's your first biggest takeaway from these things for the classic constructed meta? Um, to start off, I don't think awakening is what made kind of Starvo overpowered or broken or strong or however you looked at it. Um, but I think that that card is just contrary to the spirit and, you know, um, I guess the spirit of the game, right? Like kind of like drone or whatever. And that card should have never existed and should be banned. I think, um, just for losing the game and then falling way behind and then swinging back with 18 damage for two cards, I think is just like cheating, (laughs) you know, (laughs) It's like pretty absurd. So I'm glad that that card's gone, regardless of the current impact. Um, as far as Autumn's Touch, um, I'm not a Starvo player, so I don't really understand the full repercussions of this. You know, this is very like a la Seeds, where they, you know, they're kind of cutting a core part of the deck. They're not hitting any of the, like the spikes, right? Like there's Crown, there's Starvoed, Oakenold and crippling and you know all these big power plays you know they still have stalagmite they you know winter's where they still have all of this and with autumn's touch man you can just instead use um evergreen or uh break ground right to replace these nine cards with nine cards exactly the same they just block for two so essentially, you can still run the exact same deck. You just have more cards that block for two. And I'm unsure of the, uh, you know, how much this weakens the deck. What do you think about that, Taylor? Uh, yeah, I think it, I mean, it. it's obviously like a backbone of the deck. Anything you run nine of, right, is uh, integral to the uh, lattice work in which you build your deck upon. Um, and you know, it's inclusion autumn's touches inclusion in the deck is because it blocks for three, right. Or else they already would have been running evergreen, um, or, uh, break ground. So, uh, I think it for sure impacts the deck making both, both things help the, any aggressive plan, 
So Awakening getting banned and the the addition of more block for twos in the deck just helps uh, any deck that wanted to be more aggressive or proactive in that matchup helps them out uh, quite a bit. I mean, the big thing is like you, when you make an announcement like this, that's going to change cards in a deck that's prevalent in the meta. You don't want it to go away fully. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to kill it because now you have players who potentially love that deck or it's the first uh, or it's the only one they have cards for to be competitive or something. So then you just lose like a large portion of your player base as well, you know? Um, So these two things keep that deck still very viable for sure, uh, but maybe bring it to a more reasonable power level, right? So it doesn't gatekeep certain strategies out and that sort of thing. They are very good about doing that. Like, I mean, with Chain, for a while, people thought Chain was like super nerfed, but it turns out um, it was not. So, um, you know, they are very good at, I don't know, I guess nerfing a hero while still keeping it very playable. So that's very much appreciated if it turns out that this um, this ban also functions that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I when you... The only comparison we have, right, is Seeds and Autumn's Touch, right? Seeds, nine of in the Viscerai deck where it was like a little bit too dominant. Autumn's Touch. Chain, yeah, sorry. Um, Autumn's Touch, a a nine of in in a deck that's a little bit too dominant. So it should, you know, with that bit of data point, it might make things you know much more fair because i think chain is at like a really good place in the meta in terms of its power level so we'll see if this is the same effect or similar yep um all right now next we see scalata is banned or suspended but um yeah suspended banned for the time being um you want to start since you're the uh You've been a Viscerai main since way back in the day. Totally. I was really hoping they weren't going to touch Skeleta because of how uh, good it is. <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> it opens up like yep. a lot of really cool lines for Viscerai to play. But I totally understand that being the choice, you know, because I really enjoyed that it's suspended. That's easier to swallow than banned. Um, so, uh, I think it's fine. It puts Viscerai in a much more manageable power level, you know, because the OTK plan is, you know, if we're just strictly talking about that, it shores up like a really tough matchup for him, you know? Uh, so it makes it so it's very hard for the deck to have a weakness and the added one point of armor makes it much easier to block like relevant hit effects. You know what I mean? So you can block for six uh, with Skullcap and Grasp and Skeleta. So that's like a Command and Conquer, just boom, donezo. Or you're like really close to blocking out Okanold, even if it is like Star of the Showed, uh, if that's online, you know? Uh, So 
it, it, it just puts the deck at a much more reasonable power level. I still think really strong and you're going to want to lean obviously more into the aggressive side of things. And so that's a little bit underexplored. So we'll see how the community starts to break that down. I don't think there's a reason for you to just put Viscerai aside if you've been playing it this whole season. Um, you know, you now have just like a slightly different challenge of how to run it. You know, and, and Aether Ironweave is still a really good piece of equipment. It blocks for one and still gives you two resources. It's like you can still have a very big turn with that online. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I um, I mean, we kind of saw this coming, but, you know, I was a little bit... I kind of like the OTK package, um, even before Sonata, it was kind of part of Viscerai's identity was be able, being able to build up an OTK. And I like that he kind of polices um, old him and has a, a game into Starvo this way. So just by like his existence in that strategy, countering those decks, I felt like was very important to the game. Um, I thought that the Sonata combo was like really overpowered in like every other context, right? Like maybe you hit OTK a little bit too soon. And when you run it in like an aggressive or a aggro mid-range deck, it's like, it's like too powerful. So I think that they needed yeah. to do something about that. It's just like too bad that they have to take away the kind of like, OTK flexor identity of Viscerai. You know, I was kind of hoping for something like, you know, j just some like, I don't know. There's a lot of tools, but like Mordred Tide or there's like Swarming, Rebel. I don't know if any of those um, are enough, but, um, you know, it's just inseparable, like getting rid of the most overpowered aspect, um, unfortunately, gets rid of the, uh, the OTK flex, um, which is a little disappointing, but um, that deck is definitely <clears throat> extremely powerful and um, maybe with Starvo a little bit nerfed uh, might have been just oppressive. So glad to see it overall, you know, uh, wish there was a bit better resolution, but, you know, we don't live in a perfect world. So ha happy to see it. Yeah. And, you know, I think our one of our biggest takeaways is that this is these changes that have been made are going to make the classic constructed way cooler and healthier. Like it's good, it's good for the game, you know, uh, for sure. And it's also really cool that we get this announcement a whole week earlier that LSS is listening to the community um, for pro players that have to spend a substantial amount of time traveling they miss out on uh testing time so it's it's just nice that the lss is willing to make changes uh based upon what they have already said you know that like you know it's cool we're making mistakes we're people too and uh we hear you and we're gonna make the adjustments that we need to make to uh keep this thing going that we all love very much. So, and are really yeah. invested in. So I, you love to see it. There's also a, a number of blitz um, bands 
and sort totally. of suspends or whatever, um, which we, we don't need to go in each one of those. Um, my one concern there is the stir snapback ban. Um, just because to me, you know, Kano was not oppressive in any way. I understand wanting to slow the format down a bit, but um, my concern is that uh, old him is already a bit challenging for Kano or can be. And uh, taking away stir snapback makes that matchup even more difficult um, against a better performing deck already. So I'm a bit unsure about that, but I guess in testing they they found that this kind of smoothed things out despite that fact. So uh, and uh, to all you old him players, I'm not like hating on old him, right? I like I think Crown's very cool. I think his like reaction is very cool. It's just without like a viscerai OTK or you know like other like old him police, if old him's too strong then it's just a control meta where decks go to time or get fatigued or you have old him mirrors and that's like not where you want to be <laughs> so well, i'm not also... i'm not i'm not hating on old him i'm just trying to avoid that meta right <laughs> yeah you you also fall in a uh extreme minority where all of your favorite heroes in all favorite formats uh get shit on by oldheim a little bit too much you know like you can't run any of your rangers into them like uh the brutes aren't doing great into old time kano is really hard to play against ab5 you know all of these things so it's just like you know every time totally. a discussion happens you're like oh is old gonna get better and is coming back because that would be the worst for me <laughs> it's just hilarious totally that is a fair counterpoint but it was kind of only Prism and uh, OTK Viscerai policing old time. So now we have half of that uh, gone. Yeah, I think Starvo probably also polices it at this point. Oh, but right. we're talking, we're talking. I'm thinking Starvo is hitting Living Legend very soon, though. So. Oh yeah, that's smart. You know. um, yeah. So so Blitz, they also just banned a bunch of stuff to not suspended it. They banned it. And the reasoning behind that is to just like take away, you know, turn one wins, turn two wins, um, is part of it. So awakening is banned in blitz heart and cross trap is also banned and, uh, future proofing themselves. Stubby hammers is banned, which still maybe be one of the best named pieces of equipment in the game <laughs> or cards in general. Um, and along with that, we also get uh, that Viscerai has is the first hero to get Living Legend. So, and they did this great thing where they did a uh, roll of honor. So they listed every single person who won a Blitz event with Viscerai uh, in alphabetical order, uh, which is really cool. I think. Yeah, that was like a really nice touch, you know. Yep, agreed. Sweet. Maybe they're Anything listening else? to our show and uh, you know acknowledging players for the heroes they play, like you suggested. Yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, it's one step closer to the uh, XP leaderboard for heroes and stuff that I talked about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to the reaction step. Uh, I forget what number and what one it's called, but it's the most uh, recent one. 
Um, so you and I talked about this a bit. <clears throat> it's kind of hard to uh, feel out exactly who is the biggest winner here. You know, I feel like Chain um, definitely profited from this. Prism's been pretty powerful and, um, you know, got no nerfs, but also in a more aggressive meta, maybe Prism's a bit more difficult. So we kind of landed on, you know, I mean, aggro definitely benefits here, right? Starbo still has all his yeah. tools, but um, a bit less blocking power. Um, do you have any thoughts on the the overall meta? Uh, so let me check my notes here because I kind of got away from a few things. Um, I think the, in Classic Instructed, obviously, like you said, deck, excuse me, aggro decks, their stock rises for sure. Um, I think chain is really unaffected by a lot of this. And so that uh, he might become a more prominent member of the meta, uh, especially as Prism gets a little bit better. Uh, and then maybe in like this kind of, oh, also Katsu gets way better. You know, uh, I was testing some Katsu this morning and, uh, that deck is very good. And now that you can like actually play into Starvo and not just get awakening and have your Kadachis turned off on <laughs> off and get spinal crushed and et cetera, you know. Like some things just aren't maybe as possible in that matchup that Katsu might get better as well. Um, and then kind of like the second tier of heroes are maybe like Lexi and Briar. Like I'm still unsure, but something tells me that those two heroes maybe get a little bit better now. Um, but in in what ways I'm unsure of at this moment hopefully that was coherent and not rambly i think that made sense what do you think no Isaac? fair enough yeah no i i, I just pick i mean with otk viscerai out it just seems like maybe chain starvo and prism are now the top three which not a lot has changed <laughs> to be honest but um it is possible that um more decks are like a bit more playable now you know with like Skeleta gone and Awakening gone and like uh, Starva blocking a bit less. Um, it's hard to anticipate all of the repercussions, but it is possible that, like I said, more more heroes are a bit more playable into the meta. Yeah, and that's kind of what you want, right? It uh, It's going to create a exciting Pro Tour number one. You know, there's the idea of a Dark Horse um, you know, coming up and winning the whole thing. So that's, I think, what LSS has really wanted for this event. So I, I look forward to watching it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, anything else um, you wanted to touch on before we uh, fire up the interview we just had or, or what? There is just one last little piece of news. Um, the Taiwan Calling was won oh, by a Starvo right. player. Um, congratulations. Yep. Uh, the second place player was disqualified for cheating in the finals, which was a uh, pretty big news. Um, and yeah. uh, like pretty upsetting, to be honest. Totally. And it was like not, 
I don't know. It was like super early in the game too. And it's like, just wasn't worth it. Uh, I watched the replay of that and essentially what that player does is he gets, uh, Oak and blocks with one card has three left in hand. The old him player, I mean, excuse me, the Starville player chooses two cards for him to put on the bottom of his deck. He picks up his three cards and uh, tries to conceal the fact that he is uh, going to look at the card he's supposed to keep and one other card that's supposed to go on the bottom and then decides to uh, basically put whatever two cards because he has the information of what those three cards are. So he's basically allowing himself to keep the card he wants for a better turn and putting the other two on the bottom. Um, so not a cool move for sure. Yep. You know, It was a fairly obvious and it's on camera and uh, judges caught it and he was disqualified. Bit of a feel bad for players that played against him previously in that tournament but um i mean and i do this all the time i just kind of like trust my opponents to play fairly because you know just just play with honor come on but um i think the harsh reality is as a competitive game grows players will actively attempt to cheat and um if you do care about being competitive and are playing at the high this high level you do need to uh you know keep an eye on things on the other side of the table which is easy to miss especially if you draw up and you want to look at your new cards to start thinking about your side of the table in order to you know play at a reasonable pace you know have all the information um it's easy to miss uh something something like that that is not really extra cards or crazy blatant but is still you know um if you're paying attention you can you can easily see it yeah totally um i'm just happy that uh the judges caught it and the correct action is taken and the game did not progress on and we had to retro retroactively uh worry about it that it that it happened right then and there so that was uh excellent yes definitely Speaking about excellent, positive things. Here's our interview with our buddy and your new best friend on it. Please enjoy it, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Welcome to our interview with Travis, aka Onnit, of Fab Foundry. How's it going, Onnit? I'm doing well. Good morning. I'm extremely excited and happy to be here. Awesome. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. I mean, you've been a big supporter of ours since uh, the early days when we first got started. So, um, you know, we can tell you now live to everybody in our audience that thank you very much really really appreciate it and uh yeah, yeah we're we're stoked to have you yeah i mean it was it's been great working with you guys and, and watching you two grow your podcast and your viewership and 
I've definitely seen a good trickle of attack action podcast uh, purchases coming through Fat Boundary over. It's going on, I think, a year now that we've been we've had our affiliate link. I believe it's getting close to a year. So, and yeah, I'd actually like to start off the interview with a bang and show my appreciation to all the attack action podcast viewers and offer ten uh, percent off throughout the month of May using attack act or attack action ten on the Fat Boundary website. And another cool thing I want to do is, uh, of course, we have our affiliate link and there's a percentage that goes to you guys. I'm also going to double that percentage for you guys during that month as well. So your viewers or listeners uh, that, um, you know, make purchases through your attack action podcast affiliate link with that code can get a discount and you guys will get a bigger cut for the month. Awesome. Huge news. (laughs) <laughs> thanks so much we just yeah. found out also that this is your first ever exclusive interview so we're pretty uh pretty psyched to have you yeah i mean i'm i'm kind of used to talking to myself uh on the internet at this point with some live streams and through obviously fat boundary content but yeah this is technically my first first ever interview is on it or you know discussing fat boundary and you know my position and opinions on it. So it's, it's easier when you have somebody else to talk to. It's much harder <laughs> when you have to monologue the whole thing. Yeah. I, I, uh, I bit off a lot with my last live stream being my two year uh, anniversary live stream where I opened all six first edition boxes of the game and it ended up being almost a two and a half or I think two and a half, three hour live stream. It gets, it gets challenging, you know, to keep talking to yourself. <laughs> Granted, I, luckily I had obviously the, the chat to help me out. But um, yeah, I was pretty exhausted after that live stream. <laughs> yeah, who knew, you know, so I'm like all of my jobs, I guess, revolve around talking a whole bunch. So it's like a little bit easier for me, but I for sure it, 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 it takes a toll, you know doing the podcast we get pretty psyched but then you're like kind of sleepy afterwards and teaching all day too you just get like you get pretty tired you know yeah i mean on top of that like even having a youtube channel for two years now i don't identify as a content creator um you know i don't it hasn't come easy to me creating content and even getting prepared for a live stream there's like an anxiety that's still involved uh, involved for me that uh, is is tough to overcome, and and I have to admit that I'm feeling a little bit of that even in this moment, like sitting for this interview and getting ready for this. And it's something that uh, I think I've made strides in over the last couple of years, um, but it's still something a work in progress for me. Yeah, yeah I mean, well, like it it uh, doesn't show. Just see, so you <laughs> you're doing great. <laughs> Keep it up. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. And, and life does not prepare you really. Like you don't go to school and they're like, all right, we're going to spend four weeks on YouTube content creation, you know, or whatever. (laughs) So it's, it's like, it doesn't matter. Even though we live, you know, a chunk of your life is on the internet. It's still different when you know people are going to see and talk to you. Cause I remember when we did like maybe some of our first, uh, just live gameplays, you know, uh, back in the day and was like, oh, for, this is the same thing we were doing two hours before this to practice, but now it's just way different because it's being recorded. And, you know, it's probably the same thing that like, so like walking on a balance beam, like a foot off the ground, no problem, but it's the exact same skill when you're 
15 feet off the ground, you just now perceive the, you know, the consequences if you were to fall off, but it's really no different, you know? So it's kind of one of those situations, but we do obviously have like, you know, some questions here for you and the people really want to know, uh, who's your favorite hero? Who's your main? (laughs) I am a Lexi main as of right now. Um, but my story arc of my favorite heroes throughout the game. Um, of course I, I found the game because of Katsu. I was like, I can be a ninja I'm in. And that's really what drew me to the game was, uh, was Katsu because I resonate with ninja energy. Um, and of course, uh, I got into the game in February, 2020 and, Arcane Rising was just about to come out, and I absolutely fell in love with the game uh, because of Azalea. So I was obviously in the game pretty early, uh, started grinding on Azalea really early, got destroyed a lot by a bunch of the Kiwis and Aussies in the the, um, the Dolphin, the Quarantine Dolphin League that we played, or that we were a part of in March, April of 2020. Um, I've explored every which way to play azalea and try to make her good <laughs> um and uh and then along came lexi and yeah when i took lexi to orlando i almost felt like i was cheating on my girl azalea i didn't even bring an azalea deck with me <laughs> um so but yeah i just uh definitely a, a lexi uh, main right now i feel like um my experience playing azalea as, as a ranger has kind of progressed and so when lexi came out it was only natural to be able to uh fall into her play style with the extra tools and and that we've we got from the elemental ranger class definitely and it i mean it ticks a lot of the same boxes i know it's like tough to leave a character you love behind but um you know with lexi you get to be semi-competitive and also get to you know still do ranger things so yeah, very much so. Very much so. And, you know, I've been saying over the last few months, especially with, you know, star of the show, uh, LSS has kind of made it known that they're willing to have two versions of, of the same hero. We obviously have the OG Bravo showstopper, and now we have a talented Bravo. I really think that they opened up a really cool design space there, and I look forward to a talented Azalea eventually (laughs) that will be that will be that will be a that will be a good day when i can play the talented range the talented azalea that's gonna be awesome yeah um Uh, oh go ahead isaac well i was just gonna say for um any of you who don't know um on it has been in the game longer than we have and we've been content creating um, you know, a similar time, maybe. I don't know if on it you started a little bit before us, but uh, on it runs Fab Foundry, um, uh, Flesh and Blood Singles website, and now has a brick and mortar store. But we've been partnered since almost the beginning. So, anyway, just to give a little background into what's context. going on here. Yeah. I don't know, Taylor, you well, want to add anything to that? Well, we were just kind of, you know, since we're we're taking a trip down memory lane, uh, I just wanted to get your on it, your 
kind of like how you discovered the game, you know, your origin story, uh, even though like a lot of our stories may be similar, but some people's are like kind of different. And it seems like you got into the game uh, like five months right before we did. So if you did February 2020, we were like playing in June or July or something like that. So uh, how did this get on your radar, this game? Yeah, so I guess um, we can go back a little bit. Uh, of course, I I grew up on trading card games. My older brother and I still have our original Magic collection that we share. Um, pretty much from we were in it from Revised through Chronicles Mirage time period. Um, and then uh, my little brother and I still share our original Pokemon collection. We have a bunch of you know uh, unlimited base set like. Uh, uh, base set two we, we collected through i think gym heroes uh, before we kind of grew out of it um i still have my star trek tcg cards i still have my star wars tcg cards um my uncle got us some jihad uh the vampire trading card game we also i also played doom trooper for a little bit so I, there's a number of trading card games that i remember that I, you know playing as a kid I never got into it too competitively. It was just uh, very much as a hobby, and of course, grew out of it when I got into high school and sports and other you know things came up. Um, and then which other, resume? Yeah, which yeah. other also is Bravo that cosplays? That, so that was my older brother Trevor that uh, cosplayed as Bravo Showstopper in Vegas, and then Bravo Star of the Show uh, at our Pro Quest event. That's my yeah. older brother. Legend. He's a legend. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm very, I'm very fortunate and blessed to have the support of my family on this, on this, uh, on this adventure. So sweet. So um, yeah, so and, a, a big history of TCGs. So then you're in high school. So then keep us going. What happened? Well, so um, I was actually um, I had some downtime in 2018, uh, and I was just looking to pick up a new hobby and a new interest and. You know, I'd, I'd been over to some friends' uh, houses and they played some magic. And, you know, I had some friends that were in Commander. So, I, like, magic was kind of a, in my friendship circle, especially being in the music festival community. A lot of festival, you know, individuals played played magic. And I, I was part of conversations of people talking about things. But I never dove back into it until 20, uh, 2018 when I had some extra free time. Um, and it was right around Dominaria. Um, time time frame War of the Spark is really when I dove deep back into it, uh, and that's also when I you know jumped on YouTube and uh, was consuming some magic content, and that's also when I found Alpha Investments and Rudy, and I became a patron of his, and so I've been a patron of Rudy's since I think uh, late 2018, um, and uh yeah so i was deep into magic in 2018 through 2019 that culminated with magic fest portland uh 2019 december of 2019 uh which was a great experience but also like uh, was facing kind of burnout uh from magic at that point because i dove so deep uh right. and of course rudy then introduced uh flesh and blood to his viewers um in early 2020 and my first flesh and blood products came to me through his uh, first um, flesh and blood kit. And so that's how I found the game was, you know, Rudy presenting it. And that's where I, you know, saw him present Katsu the ninja. And I was just like, I'm in, <laughs> I can play a ninja. I'm in. 
And as soon as I touched the cards, as soon as I opened my first packs, uh, it, it was, I've, I've honestly, I moved my magic cards out of my workshop that I'm currently sitting in and they've sat under my bed. Um, since I have not, I've not touched a, like my magic cards since I found flesh and blood. And so Sweet. that's kind of how I came about, you know, flesh and blood. I was all in from the absolute get go. Um, and strong conviction from the beginning because I just recognized that the foundation of the game, the play style of the game was very unique. Um, mm -hmm. And I think is still ultimately the driver of this game with all the other things that are going on. The, 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 the fundamentals of the game is what's driving uh, its, um, its success in my opinion. Yeah. That's yeah, a really good sure. point. Cause um, you know, uh, we've been in the game a while now, so it's kind of easy to forget, but this game just really solved a lot of like kind of maybe like antiquated norms, you know, like it really solved the, you know, like for example, the resource system, right? Like you, you can't draw, I mean, you can still draw too many blues or too many reds, but the issues there are a lot, a lot more mitigated. Um, and you can kind of always make something work um, with flesh and blood and the, you know, discarding cards you've played versus uh, cards you pitch cycling back. It really like smoothed out a lot of kind of, you know, clunkier mechanics from older games where you would have some like a bit of variance or a bit of imbalance with uh, those kind of, I don't know if you'd call them more linear, um, you know, resource systems or like slower draw systems, etc. Yeah, I agree. You know, uh, and of course, most most of us know at this point that, you know, James and LSS spent seven years developing the game. Now, I don't have any insider information. I wish I was a fly on the wall in the, you know, LSS development room. And I wish I had lived more in since. But just my personal opinion, what I feel like they did in those seven years is they researched other games throughout trading card game history, what worked for other games, what failed for other games. And that was what a lot of that time period was really used for is developing the foundation for the game because you can see that they've you know plucked some of the best attributes of other other trading card games and kind of instilled it in their own unique way in our game or in flesh and blood and are avoiding the pitfalls of you know some some more antiquated games like you said just the, the resource system as, as an example so yeah and, um, and you know the the story of just like, as soon as I played this game, I was hooked. And, and that's something I think as potential, I mean, myself and Isaac touched on this too. Um, when you're kind of like a bit more competitive focused, you kind of forget the fundamentals of the game and, you know, your own origin story and how like just tight of a game it is. And the artwork is evocative in the gameplay is evocative like every hero feels so much different than the other one in terms of like you know not only gameplay but how you build the deck etc so they've really nailed like so many things in yep. the, in the game to make it like uh super fun so it's, so all you got to do is just play it and then you're like oh yeah this is something yep. i would like to spend my time doing you know it was so good that me and isaac previously not competitive card players became competitive card players and podcasters. You know, it inspired like a whole new chapter 
in our lives and it's like part of like who who we are in that sort of thing so i mean i i my story is very much the same you know again mm. i I have to obviously draw my comparisons to my magic experience. And I know many members in our community um, are doing that same thing. And I know it's been visited a few times. So it's not like trying to, you know, um, you know, I guess beat a dead horse on that aspect, but that's just kind of where that that's where my experience comes from. And, you know, I'm coming from magic, the game, you know, has gotten to be so expansive. It's very convoluted, you know, in my opinion, and they're like a very complex in my opinion. And of course, when it came to content creation and uh, contributing to the secondary market, you know, is very competitive. Um, you know, you, we're talking millions of people in the game and thousands of content creators and a very small window for you to be able to kind of carve out your, your yeah. support network within such an, an established game. And so, you know, moving, changing the flesh and blood, especially so early on when, you know, it was uh, the, still very new and a very small community. I felt like I had um, a clean slate, a platform to possibly, you know, apply my life experience and skill set um, to this new game and try my hand at creating content creation um, for a new community and apply, uh, you know, originally when I started Fab Foundry, it was as a player and a collector. Um, and somebody who's just passionate about the game, I quickly realized that, you know, the secondary market was not being, um, you know, supported, um, as you know, other games were And granted, this was also February, 2020, March, 2020, when we went into quarantine. So of course, as we know, you know, the pandemic has kind of, you know, took the wind out of, you know, LSS's sales when it came to this game and stores weren't touching this game, you know, uh, because there wasn't an established community, there wasn't a guarantee that the, the game would sell, unfortunately. Um, but it also provided a window for individuals that kind of recognize the potential in the game. Um, and for me personally, I, I thought that, you know, when I when I started um, selling, you know, selling some, some of the, the product that I got from Rudy's kits on, on eBay, I felt like there was like a six month window from when I started my flesh and blood at the time, which was just a, a hobby hustle. You know, I wanted to offset my, you know, the, the, the financial cost of getting into this hobby with hopefully opening some packs on the, the channel and flipping those cards on, on eBay and kind of make it somewhat sustainable because of my magic experience, which was not mm. financially sustainable. <laughs> um, right. And it quickly steamrolled from there, you know, the sales started rolling in and I realized that, that there, that there was, uh, more potential there. And that's obviously when I uh, launched the Shopify website and I, um, I went to my local game store where I played magic and I, I introduced the game, um, I showed them the cards, the cold foils, the mats, and, you know, was very passionate about that. And I started, I, you know, convinced them to let me start ordering product through them. And so that's how I got my, you know, started getting actual product in was, was through my local game store, which, Becky and Alan, of course, are now my business partners at the brick and order that we now co-own together. So along with my other business partner, Tim. So, um, you know, I, I recognize that there was a, a small, small window of opportunity there um, in the, and just kind of started applying my life experience and skill set to the opportunity. And it has snowballed and flourished in ways that I couldn't even ever have imagined. 
Right. So when we all started up, right, there was like a significant lack of, um, you know, retailers selling flesh and blood cars, content creators. I mean, there were some of both, but just not that many. So it was very easy to kind of get on board with this game you love and, you know, try to just do your part to grow it and easier to carve out your own place, um, you know, existing in the content creation or the, you know, the secondary market side. Um, but so what, I guess, what experience drove you to do that, right? Like, how did you know how to, you know, found, uh, you know, an online store? Or like, what made you, you know, believe in the success of it, you know, know how to like figure out your margins, you know, what you would need to succeed, what to watch out for? Um, have You know, have you done the similar thing to this before? Or was this kind of a new endeavor? Yeah, so I so I have um, plenty of business management experience before this. Um, uh, I have a business management degree. I spent twenty years in the service industry, restaurant industry. Uh, started, you know, at sixteen years old, worked dishwashing at McDonald's, all the way up to at thirty years old, I was the general manager of a brewing company, a group brewing company in downtown San Luis Obispo. Um, and so that's kind of where I cut my teeth on the management side of things, and of course. There's no better way to uh, <laughs> learn about margins and the importance of uh, controlling your costs uh, than being in the restaurant industry where you have uh, perishable goods. <laughs> um, and so that's where that's where my kind of business management experience comes from. Um, I kind of developed uh, I developed my kind of entrepreneurial spirit in my mid twenties. Um, and uh, I've had multiple kind of small business ideas over the past decade or so at this point. You know, when I was in school, I developed a business plan for a screen printing and clothing company. Uh, in my late 20s, I was uh, a personal trainer uh, for three years and I had my own personal training kind of brand and client list in, in San Luis Obispo. Uh, and then as I left the, the, the restaurant industry, um, and dove into the music festival community. I spent my early 30s uh, traveling up and down the West Coast as, uh, you know, helping build festivals, either volunteering or in some cases contracted to build really cool things at festivals. Um, and again, I applied that same idea that I, I did with Flesh and Blood initially is like, hey, I, how do I make this sustainable? How do I make this financially sustainable? when it came to traveling up and down the West coast, uh, going to music festivals. And so I developed, um, a small, uh, festival focused fashion line called Ninja Delic. Uh, and I pretty much made colorful, sparkly ninja gear for, you know, festival goers. And so I added that to my repertoire of things of, I would travel. Yeah. So I, <laughs> so I travel up and down, uh, the West coast building festivals, vending my, my, my wares and, and, uh, you know, creating experiences and building my network of, uh, of friends and amazing individuals. And that kind of was the precursor to where we where you know, I found flesh and blood because obviously 2020 pandemic hits. I had a whole lineup of music festivals for 2020, whether it was building them, working them you know, vending at them. I, you know, my 2020 was set pretty much every other week, you know to at least twice a month going to traveling to music festivals in the Western United States. And that was the trajectory that I was on. And of course, as we all know, the, the breaks, <laughs> the, 
Um, yeah. You know, that that came, all came to a screeching halt um, with, with the pandemic. And that actually provided the space for me to, you know, dive deeper uh, into the game uh, than if it didn't happen, you know. So, you know, I, I have to count my blessings. And, and granted, I know... A lot of individuals that like the last couple of years has been very challenging for a lot of individuals out there, but I'm very fortunate and, um, and quite blessed that I've actually, you know, found success over the last couple of years because of the space that was created because of the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, you got to put your, all that festival energy into somewhere, you know, <laughs> um, but I mean, and if, if people don't know, like, you know, so the, very humble beginnings for you. And you mentioned, you know, now that you have a brick and mortar store, you know, so originally you were, you know, just a dude on YouTube, opening packs, talking about the game, trying to get your local scene psyched up to then moved into an online retailer. And then you, you make that into, you know, a, a physical shop where you now have like armories and your, your hosting pro quests and, and all of that stuff, you know, it's like a, a true kind of like uh american dream story you know what i mean uh and it's it's just it's just really cool that uh the game that you know we just all play and talk about you know half the time you know you've been able to make it into uh you know i mean a business feels like not enough, but like, you know, uh, a way to support yourself and, you know, something you're passionate about. And it's just cool. I just think it's so cool because yeah, like, a success, you know? Yeah, totally, total success. Cause <laughs> if, if you've listened to our past episodes, you know, we, we, um, for one of our pro quest weekends, we went up to Portland to see the new shop that you got and it's great it's beautiful it's well lit it's well organized and the event like we said in that episode <clears throat> was like extremely well run you know it was like unlike any other pro quest i mean that's what uh yuki who won the whole thing kept saying like wow this is so unique and it just made for such a fun atmosphere and you guys really went above and beyond what you needed to do uh to make that day like super fun you know yeah so. i mean that's um that that is my music festival experience background that's my music festival backgrounds you know i'm just applying that to uh to the proquest i mean it was it was uh, for me just in my own head it was like a no brainer as soon as everfest came out and it was like this perpetually traveling carnival <laughs> in yeah. the world of aria i was like and, and i just got right to work and my imagination just ran with it and um, like that, I can do that. That was the end result. <laughs> this is yeah. my jam. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was just again, I just get into um, uh, apply my life experience and my skill set to uh, the opportunity that's in front of me. Is it's, it's it's been a it's been an awesome experience. Well, it's very admirable too, because like you know, having your whole like work and passion schedule lineup for the whole year just get nuked by covid and then um you know that, that was a, like a pretty tough time mentally for a lot of people so to be able to you know take that i guess that free space that opened up and then you know explore a different avenue and build something different for yourself and have that turn into like a transition 
and ultimately a successful period is, you know, very cool because it's very easy to, uh, you know, when all that happened to look at it and be like, Oh man, shit, this sucks. Like everybody's out of work. Everybody has to stay home. You can't do anything. You know, there's like a lot of negatives there. So do you, uh, come out the other end, you know, at this point in your journey is like really amazing. Yeah. I mean, obviously you, you guys are seeing it because you're, you have the video on, unfortunately the, the, the listeners aren't seeing the video, but the, the room that I'm in, I can't even count how many hours I've spent in this room over the last couple of years. Um, and I'm very fortunate that this, this was my little cocoon. This was the safe space that I had during the pandemic. Um, to jam games, to lose myself in flesh and blood and to lose myself in Fab Foundry and the opportunity that I created for myself and, you know, sorting cards, like just jamming to music, listening to so much music (laughs) Um, during the the, the pandemic. And uh, as as you guys know, and something that I also pride myself on, Okay, there might have possibly been a packing slip or two that slipped through without a note on it here or there. (laughs) But I believe I'm close to 5,000 personal uh, personal notes written uh, across every packing slip uh, that has gone out, uh, you know, of of the fulfillment process of Fab Foundry. And a big part of that was, you know, hoping to just brighten individuals days just a little bit in a a, a time of need, you know, Uh, especially, you know, at least my mindset was also we are, we're progressing more and more into this kind of drop ship autofill world. And that, you know, uh, adding that just little bit of personal touch was just really important uh, 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 for me, I guess, uh, I guess cathartic, is that the right word? I think for me to do, Um, and it just provided an extra, you know, outlet for me, and I've honestly, I've had full on conversations with so many Foundry supporters through, you know, orders that were placed as they're leaving notes for me and I'm sending notes back to them. And then, of course, that's what opened up the discord, the Foundry discord and just like the, um, you know, the the overwhelming support that has come from this process is something that I you know could never have, have dreamed of. And so and I continue to get messages uh, from individuals, um, you know, that just, uh, uh, like, uh, help it's a reciprocating energy, right? It just fuels, it just fuels the fire. Um, it keeps me, keeps me going and keeps the, you know, the, keeps the engine, you know, firing on all cylinders because of that reciprocating energy of support that has been created by this, uh, this thing that, you know, that we're calling fab foundry. Yeah. I mean, so, I I remember when our friend Troy first got some singles um, and he got some from you and you had like a hand little written note or whatever. And that was like, you know, the first thing, first cards he bought online. And, so, and he hung his uh, invoice up on his fridge because he thought it was so cool. And he was like, you should <laughs> buy from there. And I was like, oh, sweet. So then I, you know, started uh, purchasing you know, little bits of product from you here and there. But I mean, you know, just to kind of, you know, market you extra, like uh, I definitely still use your service and that has to do with uh, just how well it's packaged and how nice the website is 
and the personal little touch on every package I get, um, all of those things, you know, make it so much better than buying from uh, other retailers that just send you stuff like in a white envelope, you know, taped to uh, a piece of paper or whatever. And you just hope it gets there and like, in one piece. So all of those like little touches, the bright orange packaging, the little note, uh, the extra bit of like cardboard and stuff is just all great. And, you know, sets you apart for sure. And is like a big reason. I appreciate that to yeah. Use your services is the extra bit of care for sure. Yeah. That is a good note because we, we have a lot of, uh, you know, love for your business on the personal side, but yeah, your, your card shop is like, really fast and the cards are well protected it's just like you know the best or you know tied among the best um you know merchants you can order from just just like on the logistics side i appreciate that yeah i I pride myself in my fulfillment process um you know i'm a i'm a person of systems you know obviously having a business management degree i've studied some of the you know, best, you know, businesses or the most successful businesses in the world. And a lot of their success comes back down to having solid systems in place. And when obviously you're an e-commerce retailer, I think one of the most important, you know, systems to have in place is a pretty tight fulfillment uh, process. And so that's something that, you know, I continue to tinker with and work with. And there's obviously new, new, um, new challenges there because of, you know, I've, I've grown to the point where I have um, one, my business partner, Tim, and of course my the employee at Discs and Dice, Conrad, are individuals that are also now filling orders. So that's been a fun new uh, wrinkle to the, to the process of bringing other people into the, the, the process and getting them up to speed. And they've also both embraced the importance of writing writing notes uh, on the packing slip. So it's been fun to kind of sprinkle in their own personal touch um, and, and fingerprints uh, uh, in the process. So, All right. Well, um, before we move on to uh, kind of our last bigger topic, I wanted to ask you a bit about uh, kind of another endeavor you've had going on is you you are also very much a flesh and blood player. You know, I we've seen you at a number of events. Um, I saw you were in Orlando. And uh, you've started a competitive team as well. Um, so is that just kind of a natural progression of being involved in the game? I mean, that's a whole other, you know, um, place to put your energy. So tell us a little bit about the journey of... Uh, you know, starting this competitive team and what that's been like. Yeah. So uh, the competitive team, obviously I come from a family, a sports, sports focused family. So I grew up playing team sports, soccer, baseball, basketball. Um, And uh, yeah, soccer is the best one. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Soccer is definitely, you know, yeah, I would consider my favorite sport. So um, coming from a background of team sports, um, and I was also big into, uh, you know, clubs back in the day. Uh, of course, uh, the way Team Foundry came about was actually through the North American Playtest League. Um, I recognized in, I think it was December, November, December of 2020, that we needed more, um, 
more places to kind of play, more organized play online. And so that's where the Playtest League was um, kind of founded with the idea of like, we have many, many years of competitive flesh and blood in front of us. And I wanted to create a platform where players felt comfortable bringing experimental decks and working on lines of play, um, you know, and bringing fun heroes uh, to the table versus like the, you know, the expectation of I have to, you know, win these games for prizes and whatnot. So the whole idea of the playtest league was four weeks of playtesting and then taking that experience from your playtesting into the league tournament. And so I think we had two or three seasons of that. And uh, there were a number of players that kind of, rose you know there was the kind of that were consistently uh at the the top of those boards um and there were some messages that were exchanged of like hey it would be cool if we you know kind of honed you know honed uh the direction a little bit with those individuals and we started messaging about the possibility of starting a team and um you know this was uh shortly after Louis uh, made his big announcement about Team Kitchen Fable. Um, uh, we kind of started just quietly organizing ourselves uh, and started, uh, you know, working together and developing some deck techs and whatnot. And, um, you know, brought a team of, there were six of us and myself that went to Vegas. And so that's kind of was like our, our first foray as, a, as Team Foundry, Rock and Foundry shirts. Uh, but then our, I feel like our big coming out party was definitely uh, at Orlando U.S. Nationals and the U.S. Calling um, and rocking the, the cool baseball team foundry jerseys. Um, and yeah, it's just been a natural progression of things, just much like um, just much just as much about, you know, how Fab Foundries kind of come together spontaneously. And I just can continue to apply my skill set and experience to Fab Foundry. I'm doing the same thing to with with Team Foundry um and just keeping it really kind of uh fun and lighthearted right now um you know and uh, allowing the players to be themselves uh, and just pretty much creating a, a platform for them to um apply their skill set and their talents and you know uh, prepare themselves to be able to compete at the highest level uh for of course our next event which was is is jersey so nice um i did take there is a really good point in there about how, you know, running a competitive team, obviously you're preparing to, um, you know, perform at high level events is like part of it, but I like definitely appreciate the, you know, to the need to have a space to just like, because part of the fun of the game for me is like experimenting with new lines and like finding new combos and like learning that way. So if you, um, you know, don't have any outlet for that, the game becomes like maybe a little bit like rigid or frustrating, or you only have a competitive outlet. So um, I think that's really interesting to part of the, you know, the need or the desire to form a team is to create that space where players can just like, um, you know, play to learn. I think that's a, a pretty valuable thing. Yeah, and also a space for them to vent their vent their frustrations, <laughs> you know, because as we know, <laughs> as 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 yeah, we know, it's like you're um, a big taskmaster. Uh, we know. <laughs> nope, you haven't um, spent your four hours on on Bravo yet. You can't leave. You know. Yeah. No, I was just I was saying that obviously, like we know the game's not perfect. I mean, there's always you know things could be. Everybody has their opinions, but I mean uh, that's also part part of uh, part of being a part of the team is being able to to share your concerns 
in a private safe space. And we've had many talks about what needs to happen, what would be cool if happened, uh, things of those that nature. So, um, but yeah, the, the most important thing is, you know, as much as, uh, uh, one of the most important things about Team Foundry, and I've, I've communicated this team most many many times, is yeah, ultimately we like results uh, are you know getting the results is is the is the end case. Um, you know, winning is the end case because it is a competitive TCG. But just being uh, uh, reminding them to enjoy the experience along the way because uh, you know we are all very fortunate to be um, you know playing in a part of this community and, and playing this game right now. And, um, and I guess this is a message that goes out to more than just my team though, too, is as, as we get deeper into the competitive side of things and people invest more of their time, energy, and money into the game, um, you know, which can, can create a little bit of entitlement, um, you know, w- when, when you feel invested in the game is just to, um, not lose, you know, track of the experience that you're having, getting to be able to sit down across from other, really neat, intelligent, cool human beings and interact with them through this amazing game. So, yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, it's something that, you know, to a certain degree, we have talked about on the podcast before, you know, that your results don't define you. It's like, you know, the, all of the experiences along the way as a competitive player that uh, make it a worthwhile endeavor, like, you know, for sure winning is like extremely fun, you know, you're in it for competitive stuff. Um, but it, it is like much more about that. Cause you see from like, you know, retired magic players or even, you know, James White himself talks about it or uh, Brian over at star city games. They talk about their stints as professional card players. And the things they talk about are the experiences that playing those card games have allowed them to have not like, Oh, it was so sweet. I only had like a three card hand and I pulled off this cool move. Like that's not the thing that they gravitate towards to share right away. It's, it's all the other stuff, you know, that happens and it's the, the human connection, you know? So it's good to remember those things. I did want to ask you about, so, you know, speaking of James White, he, you know, part of LSS's values are the local game store. And so now you have a local game store yourself. And does uh, working with them, I guess, um, align with what they uh, publicly say to everybody about local game stores, I suppose. Does that make sense? I word that correctly. Yeah, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah. Um, so this is this is based off partly my experience. Obviously, I've owned a game store. August will be a, our one year anniversary. But this mm-hmm. is also um, piggybacking off a little bit of Alan and Becky's experience because they also own Going Gaming and they've been a game store for many years, going on six or seven now. Um, but as far as what I've seen from LSS. Uh, as now a LGS a game store owner, um, top-notch communication when it comes to uh, preparing, you know, for the upcoming events, the emails that we get from them, um, and also the, uh, the the follow-up emails that we get um, uh, from them, about, you know, and the, the the feedback system, it's it's all there. Um, I'm very impressed with that. 
Uh, I'm also very impressed, obviously, with the armory kits uh, that that, get, that continue to come in. Um, obviously, we know Gem is their proprietary, uh, you know, uh, player organization slash event, you know, management system. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I don't have any exp- like experience with other systems to be able to you know compare them to. But uh, although it has its its quirks sometimes of how you know matchups are decided and how things kind of how how things pan out, um, it seems very very straightforward and very very kind of intuitive in my in my personal opinion. So uh, on the back end side of things, that's that's all great, um, you know and when it comes, I guess like, uh, there's, I feel like there's still, I, I know fab, fab 2.0, fab 2.0 is hopefully addressing this. Um, but there was definitely some, um, concerns with being able to consistently get product as a game store. Um, you know, when it comes to the first edition and, and unlimited thing, um, and get that is obviously granted there's, there's, that's a complex, uh, that's a complex thing to break down. Um, but I'm hoping that Fab 2.0 does kind of address that. Um, so, you know, but overall, like, uh, I have nothing but positive things to say about Legend Story Studios and the support that we're getting from them as a local game store. Um, you know, uh, the obviously being awarded a Pro Quest uh, was uh, the highlight of um, this, this whole experience for me so far. It, I feel like it also... Um, has given me like for me personally, it, it, it provided a little bit of validation, uh, for the hard work that I put into, um, my processes over the last couple of years. And obviously, as you guys know, you were at the event. I didn't take it lightly <laughs> that I was given yeah. that opportunity. <laughs> uh, and I look forward to, um, you know, hopefully, um, possibly growing events and contributing to, you know, events that end up being larger than the ProQuest. So I have some ideas uh, around that. Uh, uh, I have some ideas that I'm working on there too. So, uh, and hopefully I'll have LSS's support on that when I present those ideas to them. So, Well, I'm yeah, sure they'll I... recognize your, oh, sorry, Taylor. Well, I was just going to mention briefly, like our, as all West Coast people here on this podcast, we are like criminally, I think, underserved in terms of like higher tiered events you know like we haven't gotten uh pacific northwest calling um you know vegas is really far away from seattle portland and that sort of thing you know in the in the bay area hasn't gotten any of that stuff so we're kind of like you know feel like we need to get something like that going over here yeah i agree coast you know i agree uh you know at the same time uh you know the events that were chosen last year. Uh, the locations of the, were chosen for a reason, as we know. Nevada, Ohio, Texas, Florida were all states that had very lax, you know, COVID, yeah. you know, policies and procedures and regulations. So they chose those locations because of, um, you know, the likelihood that they'll be able to follow through with those events. As we know, the West Coast has also had some of the most stringent COVID regulations. Yeah. And yeah. so I think that has probably kept them from, you know, exploring the possibilities of throwing events here, uh, uh, you know, in the, the three Western United States, specifically the Pacific Northwest. Um, 
you know, all I can all I can speak for is what I'm seeing here in the city of Portland, and we have a a bustling uh, Fab TCG community, as you guys experienced. We had 58 people mm-hmm. at our ProQuest uh, on Saturday, and then there were I think 61 people that showed up to Trevor Fable Hobbies ProQuest on Sunday on back to back days, which I think is um, you know, a, uh, makes a strong case for the Pacific Northwest, uh, as far as, you know, uh, the, that the, the player base is here, um, for uh, a major event like that. We obviously have the Portland, um, convention center in downtown Portland. Channel Fireball has obviously thrown Magic Fests there before. I was at Magic Fest, uh, Portland 2019. So the logistics that of even just dropping one in Portland or even up in Seattle, um, you know, it, it's it's there. You know, they've done it before, and it's 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 uh, it's in the realm of possibility. And I'm hoping that we get it. It'd be cool if we get one this year. That's um, if anything, if, if if anything, maybe hopefully a battle hardened comes to. You know what I mean? Comes oh, to yeah. the Pacific Northwest. You know, one of the things I I hope happens. And granted, I know the American market is a little bit different than other markets, the European market and whatnot, but there's smaller stores, for example, like Fendel Hobby just got, you know, just ran uh, the Taiwan calling, um, you know, and I know that there's other smaller companies in Europe that, uh, you know, were running battle hardened events because, you know, and, and callings. And of course, we have the big boys we have the big boys here in the United States. We have the star city games and the channel fireballs. And, and uh, in all honesty, I almost feel like I'm kind of a, a David versus the TCG Goliaths a little bit, you know, as, as fat boundary and a small little TCG, a small little game store. Um, and granted, I, I understand the ease, you know, when it comes to being able to just pass off the logistics and responsibilities to these big companies that have the resources and the experience to do these big events. Um, but I'm hoping that LSS will be willing to work with some smaller, hungry, up and coming companies, <laughs> um, you know, that are, you know, have aspirations of, you know, um, putting on bigger, bigger events themselves. And, and, you know, depending on, yeah, that's, that's, that's my little spiel, I guess, to LSS. <laughs> Is I reckon, I recognize the importance of the, the, the big companies and, you know, the exposure that the game has gotten because of their, you know, the reach that they have. Um, but there's a lot of us small, small, hungry game stores um, that uh, probably have aspirations of doing really fun and cool things with this game. So, yeah, I think those bigger companies were probably instrumental in growing the game so quickly because you can just hire Channel Fireball to like have the Las Vegas calling or whatever. But I'm sure they will recognize that like, so the, the ProQuest at your store was live streamed. And I mean, the, I guess the technical prowess and the lighting and the production values that you put on was actually better than, you know, some bigger events, you know, organized by like bigger companies. So, you know, um, hopefully they will recognize and acknowledge yeah. that, you know, you guys are fully capable of, you know, having and that was a, also a that was internet a, feed and lighting and all that <laughs> that actually performed better than certain ones I watched <laughs> elsewhere. Yeah, 
and that that was actually my my very first live stream like gaming live stream as well so that's like i i'm pretty proud of you know the production value that we uh offered for that very first live stream um, of course we had hiccups with our our skirmish uh live stream and the audio because i was trying to up the game with our level of audio and whatnot so we had a little bit of hiccups in our second live stream with skirmish but it's continued to you know be a work in progress and um, you know, make improvements uh, where I can. Um, but I'm also very fortunate that there's a team of individuals that uh, are, uh, you know, of uh, 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 my local players that are recognizing what I'm trying to do and have embraced it and have um, offered their skill set um, to help take Fab Foundry and, and what I'm doing to the next level. So, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, so, a few more. Uh, things here before we get into our signature segments so like so we've been to your store obviously and there you sell other products other than flesh and blood um but are you guys like is that the main focus of your business and then if so how is that uh being kind of like a more flesh and blood focused kind of card shop rather than like you know something that sells predominantly more magic and has Friday night magic and that sort of thing. Yeah. So, uh, when we started discussing the idea of how discs and dice would work, because that's the name of our local game store, it's called discs and dice. It's a disc golf pro shop and game store in the Columbia Gorge outlets in Troutdale, Oregon. Um, again, my business partners, Becky and Alan, a husband and wife, Becky and Alan, they own going gaming. So they bring a uh, previous game store experience, um, to our operation, there's myself, and then there's also Tim Skellinger, who's a local PDGA pro of 10 plus years. And he brings the uh, disc golf expertise uh, and network that he has. So those are the four of us, and it's it's definitely um, an, a partnership. We all bring our skill set and our experience to the table. Um, and so because Going Gaming is an established store, we wanted to complement what we consider our sister store, even though they're completely separate business entities. Uh, and they, of course, they have an established um, magic community up there, as well as a D&D community. And so that's kind of their bread and butter up there. And so when we were hashing out what we wanted Discs and Dice to be, of course, first and foremost, the Discs part of this, the game store being you know, a, a pro shop level disc selection. Um, and then, of course, we wanted to focus on flesh and blood and Pokemon at our store because it isn't an outlet center. So we are more retail driven. Um, and so that's the that's why we wanted to focus on the other trading card game on Pokemon more than than magic. Uh, and then, of course, we can then obviously um, send interested uh, individuals for magic events and whatnot to our sister store. And then, of course, the dice side of things is we have a beautiful rainbow wall of dice that are you know, pretty much all seven sets that are kind of geared towards the Dungeons and Dragons player. That's what we cater to with our dice selection is the Dungeons and Dragons player. Uh, and so we knew early on, um, you know, that obviously the groundwork that I had laid with Fab Foundry and the network that I, that I kind of had built over the previous two years before the store opened um, was a great kind of launch pad to, you know, start building the local flesh and blood community at our store. And so it was just only natural to bring kind of Fab Foundry into the store as a singles kiosk. So Fab Foundry operates 
the flesh and blood singles within the store. Um, and of course we fulfill all our orders through discs and dice now. Um, and then of course all flesh and blood sealed product as, as agreed upon between myself and my business partners, um, you know, all sealed product goes through, through discs and dice. And of course the, the events are run through discs and dice. And of course, Fat Foundry also runs uh, online armor events. And of course the North American Playtest League. Cool. So that's kind well, of where that's at. And then uh, as far as our numbers go, I'm very fortunate and blessed that, you know, we've exceeded all of our projections and the, the store remains very balanced. Um, and discs, flesh and blood, Pokemon and dice are driving our game almost last time I checked almost like not quite equally. Um, but it's, it's in that vicinity that they're all those, those four, you know, those four categories are, are driving the store. So. Awesome. Yeah. That's so, it's so cool because I mean, you know, you would have, you know, uh, I mean, you guys have a unique, uh, business plan and store, um, which adds a lot of character, um, to it and makes it really, really fun. But I mean, you know, at the beginning of, our flesh and blood journey, you know, me and Isaac were talking about like, well, we could just like buy some space and like open up a flesh and blood brick and mortar, right? Like nobody else is doing it. Why don't we do it? You know? So, um, it's just cool that, uh, you know, it's work, it's working out. You can do it. You know, you can, actually you know. I asked Colin yeah. if he had any questions for you and he was like, yeah, ask him why didn't I think of that? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, but it is a really inspiring and like kind of unique um, journey because you, like, you founded and began your business with flesh and blood and grew your business kind of paralleling LSS. You know, you like found the game early and you know committed to it and grew as you know along with the game's popularity and lss really blew up and you know you blew up and you know have your brick and mortar now and have these like big festival events and all that so that's like really cool rather than being you know a local game store or like you know star city or tcg player or whatever that just kind of like absorbed flesh and blood or adopted it you've really uh grown with it which is a you know kind of unique experience and like very cool to dedicate yourself or commit to that way back when, when nobody had heard of it and, um, you know, just went yeah. all in. Uh, I mean, again, I, um, you know, I have strong convictions towards, you know, James White and LSS and I very much believe in them and have confidence uh, in them and the direction that they're taking the game. And, you know, one of the things that I say is, you know, I, I'm sure, pretty sure James probably recognizes this, but the ripples that he started with, you know, developing his game and finding, founding LSS and launching Flesh and Blood from the little tiny island that is New Zealand. Like, I am one of those ripples. Like, I, I've been greatly impacted by the ripples that have been sent out from yeah, his his brainchild and what he's done. And, and so I look forward to hopefully in New Jersey, hopefully I can, you know, show my appreciation to him and the rest of the LSS team for the work that they've put in over the, the over the years to uh, create what they've created and, you know, and provide like, really, you know, help 
lay the foundation for the for the platform that I have. So heck yeah, you hear that, James? Uh, book out some coffee time with on it here. <laughs> you guys are gonna have some fun. So. so kind of our last thing here, maybe before we get into our signature segments, is I kind of wanted to get your you know because you kind of have maybe hinted at uh, your plans and stuff, but I wanted to you know just know like what what do you view your place in the community as so you're kind of like you know you play a little bit uh you coach a team up you host events you got this brick and mortar store you know you got your your hand in a in a lot of stuff so i wanted to know like you know yeah how do you see yourself in the fab community and like where do you see fab foundry slash discs and dice in five years yeah um you know, I would hope that I would, I, I first would love to be recognized just as a, a player and a collector, just like everybody else, somebody that's just a, a fan of the game and absolutely fascinated with the possibilities of where they can take gameplay and the lore, um, you know, and uh, hopefully I'd just be recognized uh, as somebody who, you know, you know, saw an opportunity uh, and you just went hundred percent, hundred and eleven percent into it with, you know, uh, an open heart and applying, like I said, applying my life experience and skill set because I'm going on 38 years old now. So it's not like I'm a young buck. I've applied pretty much all the life experience I've had to this opportunity. Um, as far as where I see Fab Foundry going, um, you know, I'm very fortunate uh, to have found a level of success over the last couple of years. Um, you know, the way that I did, but of course the landscape, uh, around the secondary market is changing significantly. Um, you know, I have my concerns about the margins of selling singles. Uh, obviously it's getting more and more competitive, more and more individuals and, and stores are on TCG player, more game stores are picking up, um, you know, the game and selling singles, which I fully support. Of course, if you can get your cards from your local game store, I fully support you getting your cards from your local game store. If you can't, that's what Fab Foundry is here for. And that's kind of been kind of my statement all along. Um, I almost feel like I, I uh, you know, after the Fab 2.0 announcement, I'm kind of working on a Fab Foundry 2.0 kind of situation myself. I feel like um, if I'm going to continue to find success with Fab Foundry, I have to, you know, address some things and, and make some changes. Um, and so that's where I'm at on the Fab Foundry side of things. I look forward to, no matter what, I look forward to being in the game for many years to come. Um, and uh, on the discs and dice side of things, um, I'm very fortunate to have amazing partners. Um, and we have a pretty solid business plan that's in front of us. And if we continue to see the success that we do, uh, that, you know, another store isn't out of the realm of possibility. Um, you know, that, that there's a lot of things that have to happen between now and then, but that's kind of, uh, you know, in the realm of possibility is growing into a second location because we feel like we have a really cool, um, business model. Um, at the same yeah. time, though, a big reason why the business model works is because of the humans that are driving it. You know, I get to be in that store every day or not every day, <laughs> hopefully five days a week <laughs> um, 
you know, and I get to share my passion uh, with uh, the uh, individuals get that, that walk through uh, our doors along with Conrad and Tim and Becky and Alan. And so, um, yeah, and I think that's a big recipe for our success is just um, as much as like, oh, I got to go in and work at the store. It's no, I get to go and play every day. I get to go in and Hell yeah. put some, I get to put disc golf, you know, streams on the TV. I get to put some music on. I get to bebop around. I get to sort cards and fill orders and talk TCGs and talk board games and talk disc golf. Um and so, uh, yeah, that's I'm uh, I'm very fortunate that I find myself in a situation where I get to play for a living. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of oh, where yeah. that's where I kind of, you know, that's where I'm at, and the the, the what uh, where the possibilities that I that lie in front of me are. So, perfect, humble, uh, Dyson Disc Sister Store. With Taylor and Isaac. <laughs> You're here first. Hey, hey, let's talk about it. <laughs> awesome. Great. That, okay. Is that, well, that not what he said. That's what I heard. <laughs> I, think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He said, as soon as he's super rich, he's yeah. taking us along for the ride. No problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. Soon well, as I could turn, uh, soon as I could turn more of the cardboard wealth into tangible wealth, you know. <laughs> That's not what it's about, dude. It's all about NFTs and stuff now. You don't have to. <laughs> everything. I just, think those are dying already. It's just out there. I mean, cool. You bring up a good point. You bring up a good point, and that is also something that I'm finding is um, as people are coming out of their quarantine or their the, the pandemic and whatnot. Like, uh, you know, we are a physical game store. Um, you know, and we are supporting physical games and there is a genuine interest from our customer base and the genuine excitement of people coming in the store and touching things, <laughs> you know, tangi- yeah. like tangibly having things in their hands, um, you know, and as much as we are headed into this more, I guess, digital future with cryptocurrencies and NFTs and, you know, I'm hoping that we can find a balance there uh but i do feel like like i am helping kind of carry the torch forward for you know the local game store and supporting physical products because i feel like no matter how digital we go there will always need be a need to stay rooted in grounded in reality and in the physical well said and i can't think of a, a better place to end uh kind of our interview and move into our signature segments than on that so wonderful with that welcome to the end of the episode first up we have pick pass prey which is a draft scenario i'm going to give both of you three cards you're going to decide which one you're going to pick pass and prey comes back around on it you are going to get to go first here all right. And let me know when you are ready. Yeah, let's do this. Okay. First card up is Ragamuffin's Hat. It is a generic equipment head. Defense for zero. Reads instant. Destroy Ragamuffin's Hat. Draw a card. Then put a card from your hand on the top or bottom of your deck. Activate this ability only if you have one card in hand. Okay. Second card, Winter's Bite Blue. Pitches for three, cost zero, is in ice action and has a defense of two. It reads, target hero 
discards a card unless they pay one resource, go again. The winds of winter are always hunting for prey on the slopes <laughs> of Mount Eisen. Okay. And then here comes our third and final card. Electrify blue. Pitches for three, costs one, defends for two, and is a lightning action. It reads, the next attack, next time an attack action card hits a hero this turn, it deals one damage to them. If Electrify is played from Arsenal, draw a card, go again. So on it, which one are you going to pick? Which one are you going to pass? And which one are you going to pray comes back around? Well, I'm slightly biased here. <laughs> uh, based on my experience, uh, naturally, I would I would probably be choosing Winter's Bite would be my pick. Just being mm-hmm. a, an Ice Lexi player that kind of is like is in my wheelhouse. And I, 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 I've seen you know, what it can do. Uh, and then, of course... I would probably uh, pass Ragamuffin's hat, I guess, and hope Electrify comes back around because it would land right into, if we're drafting, you know, Tails, obviously, it would be right right into my wheelhouse of drafting Lexi. So, but I think I would go with Winter's Bite to, as my pick. Sweet. Yeah, nice. Isaac? Um, this one's tough. I think I'm going to pick Ragamuffin's hat. Just because neither of these other cards are part part of like the key components for for the deck I want to build, so pick one. I'm just gonna take a piece of equipment, you know, that still has value even though it's like pretty bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and I'm gonna pray that Winter's Bite Blue comes back around because that card is very very powerful. Strips a card on its own. It works with Oldheim's ability. It gives a frostbite, strips a card with Lexi before you do anything. Um, And, you know, Electrify definitely has like Briar or to some degree Lexi applications. But with Lexi, sometimes it's hard to use the card you draw without knowing what it is. Um, You know, I actually think both of those cards are like very good, Um, but they're just, I don't know. I think grabbing a piece of equipment is where I'm going to go for pick one. Taylor, then, what do you got? Well, then what should we what do? You, what are you passing and praying for? I I don't think you listen when I do this. Stuff. <laughs> oh. Did I space I, uh, out? I think so. I'm praying Winter's Bite comes back around oh, and okay. I'm passing Electrify. Sorry. I thought you were yeah. coming back around to Electrify. Oh, no. I listen every yeah. time. Jesus. Fair enough. Marriage <laughs> argument on the podcast. Uh, I agree with you, Isaac. I'm also going to pick Ragamuffin's hat, even though their like plume is for sure where you want to be in terms of a headpiece. Um, but I mean, there's been or plenty of games. Yeah, yeah. Or honing hood. Honing hood. Um, but there've been plenty of games where I've only had Ragamuffin's hat and you get to kind of upgrade the final card in your hand in your arsenal, which has been pretty nice. Um, so it has quite a bit of utility i think there um so i'm gonna pick ragamuffin's hat yeah because it keeps me open then i think the card i'd like a little bit better as a blue is maybe electrify just because maybe at the end of the game it puts a little bit more of a proactive approach to winning if i need it to fill that role of playing it out of arsenal and now this perhaps like 
smaller attack that's not at a break point actually means you have to block it because it would deal that extra lethal point of damage. Um, so that's the one I pray comes back around. And then I'm going to pass on Winter's Bite. So there you have it. Those are our picks. Let us know what you guys would have picked at home. Uh, and then, Isaac, you have our our uh, last signature segment here. You're so so good at it. Sure. Um, I really like that pick, pass, pray, though. Like, there's a lot of thought that went into all of these cards. You know, I had the whole, like, you know, well, blues aren't really as essential in Briar, so blue electrify has less value. You know, it just, like, goes on and on. It was uh, pretty evenly weighted cards, I thought. Yeah. So I just segment. defaulted. I I just defaulted right to what I know. Like I said, I've played plenty of Winter's Bites and see it's <laughs> seen it's uh it's it's potential and you know uh providing headache for my opponents. <laughs> and as a value, playing what you're comfortable with means yeah. you're playing better. Um all right, so here at the Attack Action Podcast, we love mini games, not just flesh and blood. So sometimes we'd like to share a board game or some sort of game from our closet with you in the hopes that you uh, may enjoy it as well. So this episode's board game from the closet is on its game. Well, I do have some classic board games that um, I played growing up with my family. So I don't know, maybe it's a little bit of a throwback. You guys might remember. Sorry. Do you remember? Sorry from back in the day. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry is one of the ones that uh, I've gotten into many arguments and f- many fights over with my siblings. <laughs> uh, that's a that's a kind of a family staple. We brought it out uh, in in previous Christmases as as adults and 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 even played some games. That was really fun. Uh, another one that we played often was uh, Labyrinth, and of course you you remember Labyrinth. It was the one with the moving tiles, and of yeah. course you had your treasure cards that you had to kind of move your piece to in order to, you know, get your seven treasure cards and you had to line up the tiles to kind of create your path to those treasures. Totally. Uh, Thank you so much. I forgot about Labyrinth. That was excellent. (laughs) Uh, Those are both games that we played um, quite a bit when, you know, I was younger with my siblings. So. Hell yeah. Yeah. I appreciate the throwback and uh, remembering that, you know, for some of us board game, lifestyle started like yelling at your family during the <laughs> board game you know <laughs> that's great what a what a great spin on that segment well on it we can't thank you enough for all that you've done for for us for being on the podcast what you do for your local game scene all of that stuff you know you're a true pillar of the community and really appreciate you sitting down and talking with us for this uh hour plus it's been great yeah it's it has been a great time it's it was fun kind of reminiscing and you know you know going back into the file cabinet and (laughs) realizing that we have it's it's been a special couple years and we have done a lot and it's exciting um it's exciting to, to to be a part of this community to contribute to it um to be supported by it uh and yeah, it's exciting to see where we're all going to take this, you know, this this fab train, so to speak. Yep. Choo-choo. Totally. <laughs> Attack action 10, everyone. <laughs> yeah, so yes. on it, give us, give us that special again one more time. We'll have it in the uh, show notes for this episode for everybody, but just in case they missed it the first time. 
Yeah, so um, as a thank you for all the Attack Action podcast listeners, um, you can use Attack Action 10 at checkout, um, and that will get you 10% off your order. That will be valid through the entire month of May. And at the same time, uh, as many of y'all know, uh, we have an affiliate link with the Attack Action podcast guys. Uh, and I'm going to double their uh, percentage that they get on any orders that are completed through that link in the entire month of May as well. So a uh, little bit of kickback to the listeners and also hopefully send a nice chunk off to you guys as well. So sweet. Awesome. Appreciate that. You hear that, everybody? If you're if you're missing like blue uh, winter's bites, go get them now. <laughs> Cold yeah, I think they're like 10, 10 15 cents. Go get them. <laughs> yeah, totally. Or cold foil flavors. crowns, you know, whatever you need. Yeah, yep. totally. Any of those pieces. And then on top of that, if you're really hurting for cards, I mean, obviously I'm going to, um, you know, uh, the history packs are coming out in early May and I am going to take a swipe at opening up singles for the white border singles and I'm going to give it a run and see um, if it's if it's financially viable or not. Obviously, the whole idea behind the history packs is making the game more financially approachable and hopefully, um, you know, driving down the prices on some of the sought after cards. Um, and as long as the uh, the margins are continue to work and are manageable, um, you know, I'll support the singles for white border cards as well. So. Cool. That's great. Yeah. Well, again, uh, thanks on it. And, uh, you know, Hope to have you on again sometime. You know, maybe we'll be doing the commentary at your your huge uh, flesh and blood event in the future. Ooh, I like that idea. Heck yeah. All right. Thanks. That was fun. Take Goodbye. care. Thank you for listening. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at the Attack Action Podcast. On Twitter, we are at Battle Bro Taylor and at Battle Bro Isaac. Shoot us an email the attack action podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support us, like, and subscribe shop for singles using our affiliate link or support our Patreon for as little as $4 per month.